Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Great to have you with us. My name is Mick Collis. We're here thanks to leapstrategies.com.au and joining me as always, Wallaby 735, Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to see you. Fresh from mud racing up in Darwin. Yes, it was a big, big night at the mud racing last night. There's two or 3,000 people rocked out to see the uh, the jalopies go around in the mud. It was a lot of fun, mate. But uh, it's been a busy weekend of rugby. Lots happening. I didn't even get to watch the sevens this weekend. There's been so much on. Yeah, been a lot going um, on. And I'm only one episode into the, the documentary too, mate. Like, oh, okay. geez, Can we talk about that later tonight? Yeah, we'll talk please? about that in the mailbag. Don't <laughs> worry, that's already in there. That's in there. And at great expense to the management, fresh from the buffet at HBF Park, it's Heath Tessman. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, gents. Thanks for actually telling me it's on this week. You're like, you tried to do it on a Sunday, because when we're recording, you tried to do it on a Sunday to catch me out, but you can't. I'm all over it now. I've got my moles on the inside. They'll keep me, they'll keep me aware of when we're recording. Well, it's nice to have you with us, Tess. <laughs> now, one of the biggest stories in rugby at the moment centres on the Melbourne Rebels and a financial situation that has seen them enter administration. So while the rugby implications are important, there's also a human side with players, coaches and admin staff facing an uncertain future. Now, one of those people is Nick Stiles, the general manager of rugby at the Melbourne Rebels, and he joins us now. So, Stilesy, thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. No, my pleasure. Great to be on with uh, three lunatics like yourselves. <laughs> no, mate, it's, it's obviously a tough time down at the Rebels. How are you? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm good, Mick. Listen, uh, it's, uh, of course, it's, you know, difficult times. Uh, to be honest, I'm glad the season started and we can get into just playing some rugby, uh, to be honest. Because when did you first realise or first hear that the club might be in some sort of trouble? Has it been brewing or is it, was it a shock to everyone? Oh, listen, I think uh, rugby in Australia is, is in trouble. Um, you know, there's financial implications uh, from Rugby Australia all the way down. So we knew, we knew there were some issues around, but de- definitely didn't think, um, you know, would would be in the point that we are right now. Mm. So uh, initially Rugby Australia, would, they were going to make a decision in early March. That's now been extended. So what's your gut feel on what the outcome will be? I don't know. We probably asked Tess who's around, uh, weren't you, in 2017 when a decision was going to be made in 24 yeah. hours. 24 and, hours, uh, wasn't it? I think it went lasted <laughs> about four months. <laughs> uh, no, listen, we've we got no idea. I think um, there's that much to, to work through. Um, you know, w- what is 2025 and beyond? What does it look like? I, I don't think there's really clear strategy at the moment what that is. Uh, um, and then one, once you're work out what it, what it looks like, then decisions will be made quickly, but I don't see that happening uh, anytime too soon, I don't think. Because who's going, who's making that call? Is it Rugby Australia, the ones working out this strategy? Uh, I'm not sure, but, uh, Mick. I'm sure Rugby Australia are working with New Zealand, um, you know, discussing to, to, uh, first thing to what uh, what Super Rugby in 2025 looks like. I think uh, initially there was a broadcast deal done through to 25 with, um, you know, 12 teams in it. But obviously with uh, our situation, you know, a lot of, lot of talk about the Brumbies as well at the moment. Um, even over in New Zealand, Moana Pacifica. So I think they just need to to work out what they actually think Super Rugby needs to be, um, what format it is, and what's going to bring the fans and and you know subscription uh, subscriptions back. Because you've you've been around for a long time, and I'll throw this out to to Mitch and Tess. You've both been involved, all been involved. And Nick, what would you uh, have? You got a, a Super Rugby model that you think would be the best model? Uh, no, listen, not at the moment. Uh, at the moment, just uh, to be honest, thinking about uh, where, where the team is at the moment, where the club is, uh, what it looks like in the short term and what it could look like in the long term. So I uh, haven't really put too much thought into to a new model or anything yet. And Mitch? My model? Um, well, I think, I think we have to have Super Rugby in Melbourne. And I said that last week. In some way, shape or form, Melbourne has to have super rugby games there to engage with the rugby community and, and be that sort of linchpin between test match international rugby and community rugby. I think it's got to, it's, there's, there's got to be a place for it. I did like the Sunwolves when they were in the competition. I thought that gave us a, a new audience and a different audience based around the strength of where Japan rugby was going, but it probably wasn't in their best interests to have a team in super rugby. So whether or not that landscape changes and, you know, these days, a lot of the Australian and New Zealand teams, for that matter, have good, strong corporate relationships with Japanese teams. So I think that that part of the market's still to be explored further. I don't, I don't believe the 
uh, Haguari's experiment was in the interests of that, the sort of Southern Hemisphere rugby model, but, um, and they've gone from strength to strength off the back of that. But, you know, I've, I'm still a big fan of, you know, if the re- if something did happen to the Rebels where they couldn't participate, I think there's an opportunity to, um, you know, the Brumbies to sell some of their games to the Melbourne market and, and still have a, a strong super rugby presence there. But that's all to be, un, you know, unfold in front of us. I reckon we sorry, sorry to jump in. I, I agree with you around. We've got to create more content. Um, I, I, one of the big issues we have in Australian rugby is, you know, one piece of puzzle is super rugby. And it's also the fact that we just don't get enough games mm. into our contracted players. Um, mm. and, and fully agree that, that that Japanese connection, you know, I suppose I'm a bit biased as well having coach twice over over in Japan and know the landscape over there really well. And I think it's crucial that we've got to engage into into that marketplace. So I've sort of Japan sat there a bit untouched since uh, well, the World Cup was held there in two, not 2019 due to the COVID issues and, and it sort of took a lot of momentum out of Japan Japanese rugby. But I think now's the time where we do need to be driving really hard a connection with the five uh, super rugby franchises and Japanese teams and building a competition um, between those uh, those connections. Yep. And Tess, I Tess, think they, they, they need to be brought back in, in and it's just in, you know, what what form they look like. I think with the Sunwolves previously, they probably had the, a Japanese contingent involved uh, the wrong way by trying to create their own team and trying to create a base, even though they had the fans, but like a training base and create like, you know, a team from new, which is, always difficult to do so i think whether or not it's being able to tap on the shoulders of some of those more powerhouse teams that are already in existence up there and bring them in under the tent then as well so to speak and because there's capability for potentially like you know an australian with japanese conference and a new zealand with you know the Ndrua, moana pacifica new zealand you've got the the talent to be able to field another team competitively as well over there so being able to have maybe two conferences which then come together uh, at the end of it, and then play off in a in a second round tournament could be something that's of interest because then we're building that more. We've got more games, we've got more content, more competition. Because do we go back to that? You know, it was the third tier, as it was called then. That the NRC, the teams in the NRC. I think there was eight teams in that test. I think is that right? When you were running around? Jeez, yeah, yeah, that sounds eight, a bit right. Two, two, teams. two, four. So it's, if- a, it's a the, the, the NRC. So that third tier is massive. I think um, you know at the moment we talk a lot about the player depth, you know, in Australia. But I think for me, it's not only just the player depth; it's the coaching depth, it's mm. the officiating, and, and I just reckon there's been such a, a void of growth um, since we, you know, the NRC was shut down because players aren't playing in it, getting more game time together like the Kiwis get through their ITM games. Um, and coaching staff also aren't getting exposed to that next tier. I know myself, I, you know, I came through the NR system as well, NRC system, but then the, the other coaches we've got on staff here at the Rebel, Rebels, Kevin Foote, uh, Brad Harris, um, Tim Sampson, We've all won NRC titles, so it just mm. shows the importance of having a third tier as a development for not just players but officials, coaches, everyone. Because with this, that NRC could that NRC the teams in that become the Australian Conference, and that that becomes a a home and away. And then the New Zealanders have got their same thing, and then the Japanese have got their same thing, and then at the very pointy end of that, the semi-finalists from those three conferences. They get together and do 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 away with these these basically you know these state teams that have basically become club teams in a competition. Oh, I think your model's worth exploring, Mickey. You got the juices flowing this afternoon, but um, look, I think we've talked before. NRC had its pros and cons, um, but it needed the complete buy-in from all the states and territories. Like everyone had to get behind it, um, and it didn't. That was what under undermined it in the end is that you didn't have the unified support around it i, I agree with styles like you've got to create that avenue for coach development and coach progression uh we talked about that last week when we were talking about appointing foreign coaches ensuring that that's great but you've got to have that opportunity for australian coaches to continue to progress um through that model and and have that succession planning in place you know there's a lot of coaches still applying their trade overseas but there's also a lot of coaches that 
you know, potentially uh, throwing it in because there isn't that visible pathway or that opportunity that presents themselves at that next tier above club rugby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so on that note, when we're talking about third tier structure, I, I guess this is a bit of a segue, Stolze, to the philosophy that the Rebels have employed around sending groups of players up to the Brisbane comp to play. Can you talk us, talk us behind that? Yeah, listen, uh, one of the things we, we sort of looked at historically down here at the, at the club that we've tried everything, even, you know, pulling Heath Testman down there at one stage and getting him to try and play for the Rebels and win games, and, and that didn't work. He must have been um, desperate. Uh, here, we yeah. here we go. The, wor- the worst part, I, I, I had the unfortunate pleasure of coaching him at UQ as well, you know, for, so there's a few stories there for another show one day. Um, but yeah, no, listen, Mitch, yeah, a little bit controversial, isn't it? But uh, what we feel we looked at trying to build that cohesion, trying to get our players playing together more. Um, you know, we're competing in a competition with New Zealand, New Zealanders that are exceptionally good footballers to start with, but they get to play together as a team, not just in super rugby. They do that through ITM. So basically, yeah. we said we want to try and build that cohesion. How can we do it? We don't have content with the NRC for example, anymore. And what we did, we tried to put players in positional positional groups um, and then in, in bulk, you know, out of out of West in particular in Brisbane. And mind you, a lot of those players we had in our club did already come from West as well. So there was a natural connection point for a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, definitely the strategy was to get more game time together. So on that, did you get a bit of pushback from the local Melbourne rugby community on, on that philosophy? Yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, some you know some clubs always want you know a player to come down and play a couple of games for them. But what what you know we did was you know articulated and, and brought them on the journey on the why we wanted to do it. You know that we want to get a, a Melbourne Rebels team that's successful um, because we cop criticism either way. You know, um, so we you know, explained to them the strategy behind it, showed a lot of the data. You know, Ben Darwin, I think I'm sure he's probably yeah. been on here here before. Um, you know. You get some really good statistical data out of out of their work showed showed the community that, and then said, "Listen, we want to support you in other ways, um, and it might not be just giving your player two to play for a few games. It will be around coach education, uh, strength conditioning development, you know, physio education. Uh, so we did a lot of things in that space as well to keep connection uh, with the clubs, but just trying to grow that TWI as Ben describes it." Oh, if in doubt, blame it on Ben Darwin, hey, Stozzi, mate. Um, talking about like talking about Melbourne dragging, you know, dragging things in that are unproven and unexperienced, your own journey as well from coaching into the administration role into being in behind the desk. Like how has, uh, have you found that role as well? Have you found that change from being, you know, more in the dressing room, in the locker room to, to upstairs? Tess, you've got, got a I, baptism I got, of fire. <laughs> <laughs> I got a laugh, I must admit, when I made, made the transition into sports admin. I thought, oh, well, you know, one of the upsides is that you'll have a bit more job security. And, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how hard could it be, Stolzy? How hard could it be? Can't be too hard, you know. I'm not not reliable for the uh, wins and losses each week. And at one stage, there yeah, we didn't know who was keeping going to keep their jobs or not. And I thought, geez, wish I was still a coach that uh, I'd definitely be kept. But no, um, no, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it, Tess. Uh, like we, as a head coach now, the amount of work you do in more of a management setup. Um, rather than just pure technical coaching. It's it's really changed a lot. So there is a lot of crossover skills from being a head coach into, into a sort of GM's role. But for me, I sort of always had a desire to get into more of the business of sport and, and you know, transition then into the, into the business community one day. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been good because, you know, I, I look, I've been a head coach, I've been assistant coach, I've been a player. Um, even in the early days, I worked at QRU in the community section. I've coached at Clubland. So I feel I've got a really good touch point across the whole business. So um, I've loved it. But, um, yeah, didn't think I'd be in this position right now. <laughs> so how difficult is it for the, for the club? You had some big signings in the off-season, you know, Lucan, um, Salakai Loto, obviously Tanelila Tupo. They'll now be targeted by other clubs. Josh Kemeny, he's already signed for the Northampton Saints. So how difficult is with that uncertainty to try and make sure you can keep a squad together if the Rebels do survive? 
Yeah, that'll be probably the hardest thing uh, moving forward. We're probably lucky that we still do have quite a few players over 50% of the squad that are signed on two-year deals and in key positions. So we've got a nucleus of a, of a side there already for 2025. Um, but probably for me, the main, probably, the, yeah, is around keeping the squad together because we had, had had a clear strategy. We signed some young kids, uh, some local boys, some young kids also from from Brisbane and we want to develop them over the next three to four years. We've done that now. They're really key members of our squad. Um, players like Josh Cannon, uh, Isaac Galeo um, and a heap of others. We, we've been in the squad now, that middle tier that really come through now into a top tier player and then we wanted to then recruit a couple of Key players, Matty Proctor as well was one of them, Filippo Dangunu. And so we really felt we've got a good balance that was built around some experience, some some really good players that now have been in the club for five, six years, mm. and then some of that youth um, that are coming through after being developed for three to four years. So we're really excited about where we are as a club. We didn't play like it on the weekend, um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get a bounce back against uh, against the force this weekend. Because how frustrating is it? Like that, everything was being planned for for the future, mm. and it, and that might be taken away. How frustrating is that? Yeah, it's a, I'm not going to lie; it's a killer. Um, you know, uh, for me, we, we just work so hard around having some clear strategy about the club and and overcoming the. You know, we we didn't hide from the fact from you know the, we didn't win in the first 13 years of uh, of the existence, but there were some key learnings along that way, and we felt we put it into into strategy and when we've grown as a club around our players we we wanted to evolve the and increase the IP of the coaching staff we did that we brought back Brad Harris Rob Taylor another really experienced coach we've been bringing Australian coaches back in which there's been too much of a coaching drain mm. away and and then um, you know, we wanted to develop our culture and our standards around that. And Kevin's done a great job of that over the last three years. So we really felt we had a squad for the next three years that we're going to challenge to win Super Rugby Championships. Yeah. And you know, Mitch is a big fan of player managers. Do you, are they sort of helping or hindering at the moment? Uh, well, well, they wouldn't uh, be helping. <laughs> Just be honest, Stasi. I've stopped calling, so that's probably that's one of the upsides. Oh, of course I have. Of course I have. <laughs> until, 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 until they know we're around in 2025, 20, then the phone will ring hot then. Uh, no, uh, I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> player uh, managers. Player managers. No, no, they, uh, I'm sure. Listen, every, it's uncertain for everyone, right? You know, we. Uh, it's not easy times and, and you know, everyone – will definitely be, you know, looking at what options they are. But what I can say is when you you guys have all been in high-performance environments, we're driven by success and we, and we want to win. And we've worked that hard over too many years now to get to this point and, and let that just fall by the way. So, yes, there's distractions. Yes, people will be worried about where I am in, you know, where everyone is in 2025 or not. Uh, but we're, as a group, we're still staying really tight and focused on trying to win football games. Yeah, that was going to ask my next question. Is the group is solid? Everyone's is focused, trying to put all that behind them. Yeah, poor performance on, on round one against the Brumbies. I'm not sure, you know, how much can be attributed to you know what's going on because we've had a couple of really good trials. The guys have been training really well, and I, I just think we had a really bad, bad, bad game. Um, and you know, everyone will be better for that, but. What we do have is some really good leaders in the group. Um, Sammy Talakai, I know um, Tess knows Sammy really well, um, just an outstanding leader. Uh, Robbie Leota, passionate, you know, local boy. He's got his own sort of funny style of, of leadership. Um, and and then Bobby Tuttle. So we've got some really, Luke um, Solokai, Lotu, some really strong personalities in the group which have been uh, setting the standard and, and keeping everyone connected through what is difficult times. How good was, um, like, is that a nod to, like, Sammy Talakai's leadership? Is that a nod to how well revered he is in that squad that, like, you know, he got that starting three jersey? Because you guys have got an absolute depth of tight heads down there with, Three Wallaby tight heads with with Pone as well, not even making the match day twenty three, and you know the big signing Taniela Tupo Nella being on the bench. Was it was Talakai? I mean, obviously he got there on his own ability as well, but that leadership coming into play. 
A hundred percent, Tess. Yeah, no, he, he's just had a fantastic uh, pre-season for us. He, he on the field himself, like his training's been excellent. Uh, but what what he's done in a leadership role, he he's sort of like the unofficial captain, I suppose. He's he's a really good connector of all our Pacifica players um, into you know in, into the rest of the group, um, and he, he's just a real really good person. <laughs> I can't speak more highly of him. And so it was, you know, his selection of starting was just all of that combined. And we knew the Brumbies would be physical on the ball and, the, and his leadership would be be important through that time. Now, you know, obviously didn't get the result, but Sammy played really well and I was pleased for him to to get that start. And Penny Latupo, obviously the, the big signing, um, comes across on that documentary as a, as a really nice fella. How much has he brought to the Rebels? Yeah, I don't know if he's too nice on 140 kilo plus. That power is coming straight at you. So I've luckily never had that uh, have that, had that, that situation happen. He's no, he's he's good. Looks and he's had a really disrupted last two years. Has 18 mm. months. He did, did that Achilles tendon. Um, was then you know rushed to get right for the Wallabies uh, program. Did his ribs in the in the Bledisloe here in Melbourne and then ultimately did that hamstring. So we're really conscious of the fact that he'd really had that bad 18 months and it was for us was about rebuilding him and getting him back to, to you know, a position where it could be really durable. Like it was it was interesting when we were in the recruitment process with him and, and I showed him minutes played for the Reds for the previous three years. Sorry, minutes played for the whole of Super Rugby. And at that stage, he, he'd played the second most amount of minutes in the last three years than in the whole competition. I'm not talking about just props. I'm talking about the whole competition. I think it was oh, only really? a half. Yeah, only a halfback. Yeah. So he'd, he'd been flogged to death at the Reds. And um, I think that sort of, you know, added up, put a bit of a wear and tear on his body. Um, and so we went about trying to do, you know, our S&C, Luke Bell, head s and did some really good work about looking at his loads for the last few years of training loads, that is. Um, had got some experts around the world, uh, had a good think tank around how to manage him, and we've just been building him back up. And I thought his performance off the bench um, carried the ball really, really well and really powerful, and he'll be much better for that uh, before that game on the weekend. And hopefully we get him through a really good super rugby season and we get him back to his best with the Wallabies because if we're going to be successful at the Wallabies, we mm. need players like Taniella um, at their peak again. And he had a bit of a wrist-hand injury on the weekend. That was all okay? Nothing major? No, nothing major. Tess always has a bit of a wrist-hand injury. Uh, <laughs> uh, Overused. But, uh, uh, no, yeah, geez, I tell you what, yeah, I was... I was I just thought we couldn't get uh, – things couldn't be much worse. Had a terrible performance. Nella's looking good and he's gone down, broken his wrist. So uh, I, was, I was very relieved when he got up and played on and finished the game out and uh, and he, he he's uh, he's okay. And you talk about the Wallabies. Joe Schmidt, yeah, happy with that appointment? Yeah, very yeah. happy. Yeah, very, very happy. I worked um, in, in Kintetsu. I had a, a guy called Owen Toole and, over there, work coaching with me, and he'd been in the Rebels. I don't know, was he there when when you were there, Tess? I'm I'm not sure, but uh, mm. he's not Irishman, and um, he he'd worked with Joe when Joe was coaching Ireland, and for three years when I was working with Owen, all I heard him talk about was how good Joe was. I don't know if he was having a crack at me and saying I was I was nobody <laughs> good or, or not, but he he spoke about Joe a lot. So I feel like I know Joe and I've never met him. And I just think his his attention to detail, I think his ability to to coach skills very well and and educate around the game sort of fits into for me for when Australia's been at its best we've been tech, technically very good around the core fundamentals of the game and we've been tactically um, very smart as well and I just feel Joe Joe will bring that to to Australia and it'll be what we need and before we let you go can can rugby Australia can rugby in Australia dig itself out of the hole that it's currently in we definitely hope so. It's 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 hard to believe you're actually saying the British and Irish Lions is next year now. I remember, you know, it was a few yeah. years ago ago, oh, it's you know, three, four years away. Well, it's not, it's next year. Um yeah. so and then the World Cup means that's only a couple of years after. So listen, I would like to think so, um, that we can dig ourselves out. We've got rugby's too good a game, there's too many good people involved in rugby in Australia, all around Australia, from community level all the way through 
for us not to work out a solution and, and come up with something that's going to get us back to to where we were. But, you know, I'm not going to lie, it won't be easy. And just a couple of last ones for me, Stalzy. Like, um, over the weekend, there was probably two glaring things for me, like surprising how flat the team seemed to be when you're watching on the telly. But um, Carter Gordon's performance was a little bit all over the place. Do you just put that down to just being the first competition round? Because he alluded to the the trial form was really good. Mm. The team looked really coherent, some good results and, you know, the ability to score tries. But then you get to that start line of the competition. Do you think the guys were just a little bit all over the place? Because it seemed to be very flat performance and a lot of mistakes. How, how are you going to come back from that, do you think? It was quite incredible. I just sat in the coaches uh, Zoom before, just debriefing the game. And statistically, I think I think we had like fifteen entries into the twenty-two. Yeah, um, uh, and I think we we beat forty-six or forty-eight defenders, uh, which was nearly double the amount that we did in a, in a single game last year. So we had all these statistical things that were good, but the errors um, on those entries into the twenty-two killed us. Uh, and some there were a couple of key moments in the in that first. First half, Brumby scored against the run of play, and then we had a line out five metres out pretty quickly after that try. We got done for double banking, just felt that sucked the life out of us a bit. And mm-hmm. then the other one was we had it, we were, it was still only, I think it must have been 17 3, so a two score game. And Brumby's got a yellow card, we had a scrum five metres out, and Somehow, I just I've looked at the tape a thousand times. I do not do not know how we got penalised against it when we had the ball in. But if we'd scored then on half time, you know, to get it back to say seventeen ten, I just felt we would have had a lot more gone. Well, that was the worst half of football we played in a couple of years, and we're still yeah. one score into it. Whereas I felt that just sucked the life out of us as well. So, um, and whether then then you throw in everything else that's going on. And whether that just all just became a bit, you know, compounding, I'm not sure. But I've got no doubt we'll bounce back. We're and, too good a side not to. And what what can you do to get more punters along to watch you play? Because the the stadium seemed empty. Oh uh, yeah, I wouldn't be throwing stones too many places around. I think the force no. had the one, one of the lowest crowds I'd had in a while. Seven eight. While. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the Queensland Reds uh, playing New South Wales at home. Uh, admittedly, there have been bad weather that day, but I, I didn't see any official numbers, but the crowds didn't look paid anywhere, to be honest. So, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, I think probably that game was much better than what the force and yeah, it was hard, it was hard to tell dish, how many was, Yeah, it was, was hard to tell how many was at Amy, Amy Park because it's a pretty big stadium. But is, yeah. do, you get a, do you get a sense that the Melbourne community are going to get behind you, blokes, the remainder of the season and, and turn up and give you a bit of yeah. Well, not, not support? Well, not if we... Not if we play them as badly as we did in the weekend. And so, you know, I look at everything. So, you know, obviously was disappointed about the loss, but was disappointed because there has been such a fantastic response from the local community. Like, they love the Rebels down here. You know, rugby rugby's, has got an absolute footprint here. The amount of players that we produce um, that come through into super rugby sides, not only Melbourne, but quite all over the place, including like Drua, um, and then the men of Wallabies that have even been produced, like you know, and I'm, listen, I, I love the Western Force. You know, you got I worked with with you guys over there, but you know, one thing the Rebels have done is they've produced Wallabies um, and produce a lot of local growing players. So uh, that's probably the thing that I'll be shattered about the most. If if the worst came to the worst and we lost the Rebels, it's it's the amount of stuff that goes on in the community down here, which is, which you know, you might not see on a on a kickoff between seven to nine nine thirty on a Friday night, but it'll be uh, there's some bloody good work going on down here, which um, which I would be worried about, but uh, if we did sort of fall away, yeah, and that's that's one of the key things that people lose sight of sometimes when they just look at oh, the sort of the commercial decision side of things. The impacts at grassroots level can be enormous when you. Um, lose that engagement and that development opportunity. Mm. Um, and what are your thoughts on the Reds, mate? Good or bad from the weekend? Obviously, a fantastic but- first up for them. Yeah, they, um, they, uh, I think they're starting 15. I think they've got really good starting spot. I'm a little bit worried about their depth, maybe if they pick up a couple of positions, you know, injuries to key positions. But no, re- really good win for them. Um, uh, would have been as muggy and as sticky and wet with that rain that had there all day. So to have a, a convincing 40 to 20 win or whatever it was, um, they'll take a, a lot of confidence out of that. 
Yeah, like a diehard red. I'm sure you're keeping an eye on them across the season, mate. <laughs> exactly. Speaking about mate, people who might have been diehard red, Stolzy, how long before we see uh, another another Styles wearing the number one jersey? <laughs> not not in Queensland, but perhaps for the for the Melbourne Rebels. Your son Xavier playing in the under 19s down there last year as well. How's yeah, he going? Yeah, he had a trot in the 19s. Uh, you love this, Tess. You know, like he's. Well, Mick knows my wife very well in a good way, um, and uh, she, she, she's not as not as tall as me, and uh, he's probably got a little bit of her height. So a few years ago now, I said, "Oh, mate, I reckon I reckon you should go into hooker." You know, you've seen Heath, Heath Testman make it as a player. If he, he can do that, anyone can. You know, um, and, said, and no, so, loose heads easier. You're a bit of all of it. Touche. And he said, "No, no, I want to play loose, loose head love." Love it, love it. He, he didn't listen to me. And you think I might know a little bit around front row play. And, <laughs> and he finally leaves school and goes to the Mighty Red Heavies. And some some clown down in Colts too goes, oh, mate, you should be a hooker. Oh, great idea. That's unreal. I'm going to play hooker. <laughs> so he's, he's got a little bit of versatility about him now, hooker and loose head. But, uh, no, he loves it, Red Heavies. You know, one last thing. I know you've got to go, but, uh, he, you know, Colts rugby, club rugby, how good is it, you know? And they're doing a bonding on the weekend and, and they're going on a pub golf day. And uh-huh. we all know, what, we all know yeah. what pub golf day is. But his, his lovely mother is nice and innocent. <laughs> um, she was talking to him on Saturday about the pub golf. Oh, that's great pub golf. You know, what do you do? Like, do you get the putter out and you putt the golf ball and, you know, play golf? And, uh, got nothing to do with golf oh. balls. And, and golf Anna, Anna Cup, she's yeah. got to be having one. <laughs> Uh, too good. He's a tremendous water polo too. He was, um, yeah. that's, that's where it all started. <laughs> hey, look, Stolte, I know it's a difficult time. Sorry it has come to that, but the whole of Australian rugby, the community hopes we do get a good resolution. So good luck for the rest of the season and, and thanks again for your time on the Rugby Wrap. No, thanks for having me on. Good chat. See you guys. Thank you. Cheers, Stolte. So that was Nick Stiles, the general manager of rugby at the Melbourne Rebels. And it, it must be tough, you know, not only for him, but for the whole squad. And Tess, you know what it's like. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a really difficult time. I think it was, there was an article talking about it last week. I think Kevin Foote was, was quoted as saying, like, even, you know, some of the, the coaching staff, they, you know, struggle to talk to their kids about it because they don't want to unsettle them. They're all starting new schools. They're, yeah. you know, renovating homes. They're putting down roots there. And it's just, I mean, essentially, you know, back in 2017, it felt like everywhere you went, there was just a, piano hanging by a wire above your head and you're just kind of waiting for it to fall waiting for it to mm. drop the whole time so you can never really you know get as much enjoyment out of it as you want to um and i really feel for the for the rebels guys you know because it is you know it's a as much as you know results on field affected it's also how the game's been managed as well which is having the effect on it as well and and got them into this position so it's um yeah I have no doubt they're going to put their best foot forward throughout the year and and there will be there will be weeks when they are competitive they've got the they've got the list for it that's the yeah. thing um but it's yeah it's it's going to be tough for them once yeah. we, once they get down that straight yeah so round one of Super Rugby that has come and gone with some interesting results so none more disappointing than the force being outplayed by the Hurricanes going down by forty four points to fourteen Mitch I'll start with you what went wrong. Well, they didn't start well and they didn't finish well, Mick. And everything what in between about, was and they've been the middle. <laughs> everything in between was a bit average. So yeah, no, I think after having Simon Cron on the show last week, you know, he's obviously done everything possible in his powers as coach to prepare the team ready for that first round. And and it and it's like everything, like it's comes down to player performance, Mickey. And they were just flat. They lacked mm. any penetration. I was really disappointed with certain individual performances out there. Um, where, you know, we've said before, their ability to score tries needs to improve and their ability to break the line and get yeah. in behind opposition needs to improve. And, you know, there just was players, players that just didn't do it, didn't yeah. do it. But what did surprise me was the Hurricanes played quite sensibly. They were good, well-structured, um, far from their best team that they rolled out. And, you know, that, that was the banana skin for a lot of teams last year is when they go over to Western Australia and they don't field a full-strength team, they were losing. So, you know, Hurricanes to come away with a, a win that size with not their best team on the paddock, mm. um, but they had a chock, a really good bench that they finished off pretty well, um, bringing on some really good, talented All Blacks and, you know, their regular starters coming off the bench and finishing in that last 20 or 30 minutes. I thought the Hurricanes' performance was a, 
oh, geez, that's we've got to have keep an eye on these blokes across this season. They'll be all right. Whereas the Western Force, um, yeah, they're going to have to really match up on the, yeah. the attack more than anything. The, the defence side of things, there was some there seemed to be a lot of missed tackles. I don't know what the stats were. I've got I've got the stat. Well, the stat of the ground, this was with uh, eight minutes to go in the game. The force were running at a 65% tackle succession rate. Yeah, and they made a lot of slip-offs. Yeah, they'd made 40 less tackles than the Hurricanes as well. Wow. So wow. they hadn't been that's that and that's they hadn't been challenged too much. It's not like the Hurricanes had big blocks of time where they'd yeah. you know strung the ball together, strung phases together and and the force were under the pump. They, you know, they'd yeah. made significant number of less tackles and missed a significant number more. So yeah, and uh, you know, shining light wise, I thought Carlo Tizano got through a mountain of work out there. He's, he looks like he's lost a little bit of weight, but threw himself around. It was a nuisance at the breakdown. Tried to get as many carries under his belt as he could, but I don't think he got any support whatsoever from his fellow back rowers at all. Yeah. And I thought, you know, the the work rate from the forward pack around the paddock was just. Yeah, non-existent. So, um, and how Chase TT got man the matches beyond me. I don't know who picks those things, but yeah, you score Did a try. He, but I didn't you, hear that. You let wow. you let three in and miss ten tackles. I don't know how they worked that out, but anyway, I must be watching a different game. And uh, Harry uh, Harry Potter yellow card in the third minute. Like, how do you <sighs> how do you start your season like that? Yeah, not a great start, and and just a, a real dumb like that's a sort of that's dumb. just a dumb mistake. Yeah. yeah, you've got to have a bit of awareness about what the opposition are doing when you're chasing kicks. That's just one on one, one on one. He looked pretty. He looked pretty good. Play. Otherwise, he looked good. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, he's a talented player. Um, Hamish Stewart, the Sam Spink combination probably didn't do as well as I thought it would. Sam I don't Spink think I don't about, think Sam Spink had a touch in the first half. Yeah, spent a it lot of time about fifteen minutes out. before he got his hands on the ball. And yeah, I think part which, of that was off the back of that. We were talking about that those forwards, yeah. the forwards getting around the park. They were just pedestrian. They weren't able to provide, you know, just any penetration, which yeah. made it then tough for, you know, the backs yeah. to get anything going as well. But I think he's a guy that they need to get for how he plays as well. Like he, he is yeah. someone that can puncture that line and getting him involved early. They need to get his hands on the ball for them to get mm, momentum. Yeah. They can't be it using does. him kind of second, third phase. I think no. he needs to be used early. Yeah, it, I totally agree, Tess. And if Ben Donaldson plays another game like that, I'd say Max Beery should be in the 10 jumper. That was going to be my next question. What did you think of that 9-10 white Donaldson? Should have been better than what they delivered. That's that's as simple as that. You know, the fines Beery combination last year really just started to develop. Yeah. Yep. Um, without, you know, I don't want to be too critical. It's round one, but, you know, it's two Wallaby players there. They've got to be better than that. Hmm. And I, I just, I, the kicking in general play, I just found really poor. And there was one, I think, from Chase Teotir. He kicked, looked like at about 20 metres in front of him to the defensive line, and he's and he's just kicked this ball away. Disgraceful, Mick. Was, um, and I think I think they just seemed to lack, <laughs> they seemed word. to lack a lot of energy too in, in putting pressure on. So they'd, the chases had, you know, they'd go down, but once they got down the end, they just kind of switched off. And then the Hurricanes then had time to, to do something with it. It was just, a, I found it a really lacklustre performance. Well, they got the Rebels in Melbourne for Super Round this week. Is that this week? Yeah, yeah, they round? do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Tess, so yeah, lot, lots of problems with the scrum. Do we have the personnel to actually fix that problem? Um, we do have the personnel to fix that problem. I think the the big problem is is that we don't have the personnel for it yet. Um, you know, taking Stasi, Stasi spoke about the Reds and, you know, you know, you take a few guys out of their best 15, all of a sudden, do they have the depth? And I think just over the past two or three weeks, the force have had a few injuries, which really affects their depth. Like I think mm. the force can field a strong starting 15, but for them to have that strong 23, they really need to have a few of the guys and guys like Harry Hooper, who they've just brought over from the Reds. He's a loose head prop. Uh, Angus Wagner as well. He's just had to have a little little touch up on his knee, so he's out for about the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. There's two loose heads who will compete with Marley. Like Marley's just a young prop; he's in his second year of Super Rugby, but he's our number one guy that we're going to rely on to play heavy minutes for. And I don't know, you know, is he capable? Absolutely, but it's still a lot to put on the shoulders of a young guy. A young Being body, able to yeah. bring him off at a good time before he's you know running to the ground. Or being able to bring him off the bench and have someone else start and weather the storm for the first forty or fifty minutes makes a huge difference to being able to manage them. Between those three guys, they 
they've, they've all started and they all will start at some point in time this year. It's just being able to get them back, get them healthy again as well. Uh, mm. Atu Moli's out, so obviously Santiago Medrano is under a little bit of pressure. He needs to play some bigger minutes tight head. And then as well, like losing Jeremy Williams in the game week, so you're losing your captain, the guy that was going to call you line outs, the guy that's going to, you know, he's one of those big leaders. And Felix Kalapau as well, so you're taking – just there, there's four guys, five guys who would have been in your match day, whether yeah. in your 15 or your 23, and that's just in the forward pack. Yeah. Now, Rizan Pasatoa, he's unfortunately succumbed to an elbow injury, and you know, there's your injuries are going to be part of the game at all. But he's another guy that will come into that. He probably would have been in that 23 as well, and it just, you know, fluffs out. It just gives you that little bit more depth before having to expose some of those young guys, which I'm sure Chrono spoke about last week. So. That was one of the feelings that I had like after the after Friday night is that like the force are going to be one of the more competitive teams. I think they're going to finish really well. It's just going to be how they can manage this first portion of the season with some key players out. So hopefully Jeremy Williams will be back. Hopefully Isaac Rodder's not going to be out of the park too long. You know, we he gets named and he gets injured. Um, so there's you know, there are a few moving parts leading into the week. It'll just be how they can manage the next kind of month before they start getting some of those troops back. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's my concern, though. In you know, in that month or six weeks, if if they go none from, it's kind of um, it just creates a whole lot of problems. And how did Marley Pierce? It how how was that not a red card? Would that have been a red card last year? Or oh, maybe. I will tell you what, his nose looked like his a nose, mess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ouch. Yeah, yeah, but again, that comes down to that fatigue factor. You know, like Marley had got through a lot of work in that game. He'd uh, done a lot of work at the breakdown, the carries, and obviously at scrum time and set piece. You know, that was purely fatigue accident, that one, where you could just see that he was out on his feet and he yeah. just got it wrong. Got it wrong. And yeah, yeah, it probably was a red card in previous seasons, but obviously um, common sense is providing a little bit more this year, Mickey. Yeah. And Tess, you mentioned moving parts, the line out. <laughs> <laughs> What was what was going on? I mean, what we seem to ask this every week, but what was going on there? Yeah, look, like I said, I it was uh, I have no idea. I think whether or not, like I know that um, you know Ben, he's only been with the team for a couple of weeks as well, so maybe he's getting himself up to speed on calls. Uh, obviously, they you know going into the game, I guess game week, Jeremy Williams would have been the number one line out caller. I'm guessing as soon as he was ruled out, Isaac Rodder steps into that role. Yeah. So then they might have only had, and you know, this isn't that they don't prepare for everything, but they might not have. They might have only had the one uh, session to, to really run through with the with a new caller, um, and, and that would have been in that captain's run then as well. And I'm oh, just off the top, I don't know who who would have been rolling in that would have come into that. Um, they would have come into that team. It would have come into that role, sorry. But you know that can be unsettling. They ended up. They ended the game. You know they're not, not a tall pack. Like you could see the Canes just physically. I think were bigger across the park. You know yeah. not not just weight wise, but height wise as well. So, you know that has its advantages. Being able to be more mobile and being able to get on the ball faster and a lot of little things like that, which they are able to you know take advantage of, especially in that first period in the second half when they were running the Canes around a fair bit. But then when it does come to set piece time, sometimes height does matter. And when you are under pressure a little bit at the lineout, being able to just have that banker that you can just hit every time is is you know something that's really important. And maybe yeah. they just hadn't developed that with with the few little changes that they had um, during the during the week leading into the game. Yeah, because remember that replacement the replacement hooker that is that's Ben Funnel, is it Fennell? Ben Fennell, yeah. Oh, sorry, what did I call him? I call him Ben, no. No, I think call him Ben, yeah, yeah. 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 So he's, I think his first line out, that was from memory, it was an attacking line out in the 22, and they've they've thrown it long. And you're thinking, again, it comes down, I guess, to the calls. Just some of the decisions, you think, let's just let's just go to two or go to four. Let's just get it simply and get it done, not try these things. Because it didn't work, then all of a sudden you, you're on the attack, then you take your foot off, Hurricanes have got the ball, and you're 50 meters away from the trial line again. Yeah, and that and that that can be the like the mentalities as well. Then, so obviously, as a hooky coming on, you've got to be able to hit whatever's called. If that's where the space is offered, we've got to take it. But if you don't make it, if you're a, if you're calling that line out, all of a sudden, okay, well maybe you take away half of your calls. So all of a sudden, you're working with you know a smaller smaller block of calls just down to the front of the line out, and that's where they're going to be competing harder as well. So yeah. then you put yourself under more pressure inadvertently too by not 
by not thinking about calling it down the back. So it's one of the things that uh, they just, whether whether the call is the right call or not, they need to be able to execute it in that moment. And they just unfortunately weren't able to execute it. And it was it was as the, uh, the great Shane Falco said in the replacements, <laughs> one of his biggest fears was quicksand. When one thing goes wrong, then another, then another, and you start fighting against it, but you just start sinking and you're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper until you're just dead. And unfortunately, that's what happened with our with our force line out on the weekend. Yeah, that's uh, yes, and there are lots of moving parts. And what a great film too. Now, <laughs> looking at the other results, uh, Friday night the Chiefs and the Crusaders kicked off the season. The Chiefs getting home, thirty three points to twenty nine. Uh, again, I think very good game. Who's going to get close to the Kiwi teams this year? Very Especially good game. Those two. That that was a great way to start the the Super Rugby this year. And Damian McKenzie. Wow, had an awesome game. And the Chiefs pack were just relentless. Um, yeah, Chiefs number one at the moment. And I'd like to say I picked it. <laughs> and then the, the Brumbies, we just spoke quickly to Nick Styles previously. 30 points to three, Mitch. The the Brums, pretty convincing. Yeah. yeah, very clinical. Probably, I thought the, 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 the positives out of that was obviously Luke Rymus, number seven, had a very, very good game. And Noel Alessio. Back to his best, I thought he was very good in that game as well. So, um, I just Lenny Katow as well in the centre, yep. very tradesman like, made his tackles, uh, went about his business very good. Um, so yeah, so good start for the Brumbies. I think there's plenty to work on for them. But yeah, I was just so surprised how flat the Rebels were. Like there was players walking after 15 minutes, and some mm. of the big names to boot. So, yeah, um, yeah, and Carter Gordon was well and truly off his game. Um, yeah. For that one, so he yeah, probably watched that stand stand documentary and all the yeah, demons just head. started come back yeah, to haunt him. His head. <laughs> and what what do you think about the the rumours about the Brumbies being axed as well? Well, the, that, 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 that's that's been in the public realm for the last three to five years. The Brumbies struggling financially from both a crowd spectator getting the numbers through the gates and the turnstiles sponsorship. Um, the, you know, they're they're pretty restrictive around revenue um, opportunities in Canberra. You, you know, it's not a big population base and it's not a government that's going to heavily invest into the team. So I think they'll be okay, though. I think they'll they'll get through this period. But, again, they're going to need a bit of support from Rugby Australia and whatever the future holds um, off the back of the Lions tour in the Rugby World Cup. We'll have to help them, help them through this. Because the noise that's coming out of Rugby Australia is that they don't really want to have to help anyone. Well, they, they, mate, they, they, I mean, brought, they, out no the they brought out the Waratahs. They brought out the last year. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. They don't want to help anyone anymore. <laughs> they know right. that they've helped their own. No, I mean, enough. they've helped the Rugby, Waratahs. <laughs> Rugby Australia got to stop making dumb financial decisions, mate. They've got to stop signing up players on multi-million dollars deals with money they don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Start yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think about the argument you can't you can't get rid of the Brumbies because they've been the most successful team? Is that an argument that holds water or, or is that just we, in a, in a financial be, situation they've got to go? We, it would have been... A, embarrassment to world rugby if Australia turned around and did something like that to say, oh, the most recognised Australian franchise or team gets punted yep. ahead of everything else. Like, no. Okay. I know right. I'm a bit biased here, but no, no, no. We, we. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we mentioned the force went down by 30 points to the Canes. That was the biggest margin over the weekend. So the force sitting comfortably on the bottom of the ladder. On Saturday, the Blues 34 defeating the Drua 10. Yeah, Drua were a little bit disappointing. The Blues were very good, though. Very good. I don't know. You, did you get to watch it, Heath? I haven't seen that one yet. I don't know you've seen it, Tess. No, no, that was, that's usually my Sunday afternoon instead I'm doing Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give it a watch, mate. Yeah, you, I'll tell you what. Yeah, forward forward power, Ooh. good in execution, just just put them to the sword. And, and Fiji, Drew, got a few new players there. They probably weren't as good as I was expecting them to be. But, yeah, Blues just completely dominated that game in my view. They, the poor the Fiji and Drew guys just didn't have a, a comeback for anything. And then the Highlanders, 35, defeating Moana Pacifica, 21. That was a Moana, good game. Yeah, Moana that pushed them game. as well. They were, they were leading up until about 20 minutes to go, I think. It was 21-14. And then the Highlanders, this is the one This is the one that I did get to watch yesterday. So that's why I've really piped up now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they pushed them as well. And like 
Julian Sevilla, Tanu Munga, he's masterstroke, I feel. Anyway, Sevilla bringing him in into that 12 channel, getting him in and around the ball a little bit more. He was playing quite well. But I think it like I think it was closer than a lot of people expected, but it's it's mm. quite a inexperienced Highlanders team as well. Like it's a Highlanders team which is, you know, really going through a rebuilding phase. So they had a lot of young youngsters, a few debutants as well. So I think that they're going to improve a lot this year, and I and I really hope that Moana they can improve from there because I don't think it's it was such a a fair bar. I think they performed really well, but I think they're going to get tested a lot more uh, in the weeks to come by some better teams. That but that Highlanders team will get a lot better as they play some more rugby together as well. No, I, don't, I did not upset your role there, Tess. Who did you say got brought into the twelve channel? Julian Sevilla. Oh, okay, okay, right. So he, he's a traditional Tana, Tana winger, Tana back playing for. Oh no, sorry, Tanarumanga. He's the coach. He, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking she's been wound back the clock there. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, how far away would he be from just? He's got the in case of emergency, just break the boots out. That's it, boys. I'm doing this myself. But he's brought Severe in off the wing, playing twelve, and he did did quite well. Yeah, okay. And then the last game of the match, the Reds, or the last game of the round, I should say, the Reds 40 defeating New South Wales 22. So a, a nervous DC kicking off the season. But the Reds looking pretty good, and I do like Hunter Pasami. Yes, very good game by Hunter Pasami. Uh, young Lino, I thought, played really well. The Reds forward pack were very tradesman-like. Um, obviously, Fraser McWright, for mine, was probably... Um, one of the standouts as well. But it was just a, a weird game, that one. There were some very strange tries. And, Hell yeah. And I think the the yellow card penalty tried just on halftime to the Reds. What a debacle. Like, there's no way in the world that that's a penalty try any day of the week. Um, they had to get it to oh, micro yeah. slow-mo fr- freeze, to make I a know, decision. Freeze frame. I like, you go, if you have to get it to that, it's not a penalty try and it's yeah. not a yellow card, guys. He's dropped the ball cold. Yeah, and for life of me, why they persist in playing Jordan Patea at fifteen ahead of Jock Campbell? Like seriously, oh, the kid couldn't play worse. I'm happy we've got that recorded. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. it's so frustrating. And you know, the the Waratahs, you know, they they hung they hung tight in that game, but geez, there were some decisions that went against them. And I think that yellow card penalty try that that was that a hurt him. big game changer in that game. Yeah. The one thing, the one thing we're all wanting to hear, though, Mick, what's the uh, what was the report on Suliasi Vunavalu? Did he How play? Did he, go? Did, did he? I was going to say, did he play? <laughs> there was one. There, he was involved in one <laughs> one try, I think I saw, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, Get the cattle I, prod out. Yeah, thanks for your deeds. But anyway, <laughs> and and so the, the Waratahs said not not the start. That they wanted, and uh, yeah, and I thought, I mean, yeah, Stolz, you mentioned there were no good crowds anywhere, but that was one where there weren't. I, I thought there would have been a few more for that. That red, they they pumped it up as the, the longest running derby in a, in Australian sport, yeah. and you know, yeah. it was just the, the interest is just not there at the moment. But yeah, everyone, but everyone went and saw pink through the week, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah spent all the money, yeah, all cashed yeah. out. Yeah, but the yeah. reds, reds are good. Like that, that was a solid performance from them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, trying conditions as well. You know, Brisbane humidity and hot and sticky. And a bit and, of rain as well. Yeah, yeah. But the Waratahs weren't dreadful. They're, they're definitely better than their trial form. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. And then just uh, the Western Force women. They went down twenty four fourteen. That a a try a preseason match against the Japanese champions Tokyo Senku Phoenix at HBF Park. They, all thirty players were used. They were just building towards the season opener against Melbourne on the 15th of March. So good to see the women out running around. And then next week is Super Rugby Round in Melbourne. So Friday night, um, I'll hear your tips. Highlanders against the Blues. 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 Then also Friday night, 5.10 Western time, the Rebels up against the Force. Rebels. I'll go I'll go the Force. Oh, I hate Tessman. I I think the Rebels are going to get up, which is not good for the Force, but um, I don't I don't think either team can play worse than what they did first yeah. round. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then Saturday, Moana against Fiji Drua. Ooh, I'm going to go for Moana. Oh, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go then Drua. They'll get. Yeah. They'll bounce back. I'll stick with the Drua on that one as well. Then the big game on Saturday afternoon: Crusaders Waratahs. Is it that Crusaders. big? Well, I yeah. think for the Waratahs, yeah. Well, it's big for the Waratahs. Yeah, <laughs> I think Saders. I think Crusaders as well. I agree. I agree, Mitch. Wholeheartedly. I did, I'm just, and I'm only raising that because of the the Darren Coleman situation where they said they're giving oh. him to round four. 
So, which is uh, insane. Absolutely you're going ridiculous. for the Tarzan, Mick. I'm, yeah, because I like DC, so I'm I'm backing yep. him. So I'm oh, hoping like they they can get up and um and and upset the Crusaders. Then on Sunday, the Chiefs against the Brumbies. That'll be a beauty. Ooh. I know what you want to say, Mitch, but can you say it? <laughs> I want to. I want to say the Brums, but I think it's going to be the Chiefs. Nah, Chiefs. A, I think. Yeah, it's a, it, to, it's that's it's one I'm t- happy to get wrong. Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, it's I'll, a tough place to go on. win, even when they're even when they're in average form. The Chiefs, it's a tough place to go win over there in the Tron in the city of the future. But uh, I think the Chiefs will be. They'll be too no, strong. Aren't all, the, aren't all the games in Melbourne? Yeah, it's in Melbourne. This is oh, all, is it? Oh, it's super yeah. round. Sorry. Super round, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, then I still pick the Chiefs. But neutral ground. <laughs> it'll be <a> neutral ground. <laughs> and then in the final game of the round, the Hurricanes up against the Reds. Oh, that's another tough one. Another good one, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to go Reds, though. Yeah. I think I think that I think that I think I saw enough from the Reds as well. They'll be a bit more combative than the uh, than the Force were up front on the weekend, and uh, I think they'll test the Canes a bit more and surprise them. Uh, yeah. Okay. Inter- it's yeah. So it's an interesting round because we do always talk about the Australian teams beating the New Zealand team. So a couple of opportunities there for that to happen. Which takes us to the mailbag, uh, proudly brought to you by Leap Strategies. So if you want to keep your computer systems, networks and programs safe from digital threats, and who doesn't, Leap Strategies are the ones to call. So find out more at leapstrategies.com.au or give them a call on 1-300-77-LEAP. And it's a short one, given we are recording this uh, a little bit earlier than normal. Smart mouthguards. I've been reading about them. Now, it came out in October last year that rugby is going to use mouthguard technology as part of its efforts to detect brain injuries suffered by players on the field. So this smart technology, uh, it measures the force of head impacts in real time and it sends alerts to an independent match day doctor to signal a high level of acceleration, which could lead to an injury. Uh, World Rugby is backing this. Um, Players who might not have actually shown any symptoms can then be taken off the field and checked out as part of the head injury assessment. This is based on the reading from their mouth guard. They're $500 each. World Rugby is budgeting about $2.7 million to provide them throughout the year. Now, it struck some teething problems, no pun intended, in Super Rugby over the weekend. Players were baffled by the need to undergo seemingly needless concussion tests during that opening match. The Crusaders locked Quinton Strange and Chiefs back Anton Leonard-Brown and Quinn Tapea were all visibly bemused when they were called from the field during that opening match. Uh, none of them believed they were injured and they all returned to the game after undergoing medical tests. And uh, um, Scott Barrett said that that initiative was disruptive and had the potential to influence the outcome of a match. So ha- have these mouth guards gone too far in this whole HIA thing or is it just something that we need to start doing? Uh, well, like everything, Mickey, you've got to test the thing first before you put it into practice. I'd just be questioning how much this thing's been actually yeah, you know, tested. field tested. Like you can't just go and throw them in blokes' mouths for a Super Rugby game, and then all of a sudden goes, "Oh, hang on a second, we're getting false readings here." So, especially the Anton Leonard Brown, like he was literally laughing, going, "What the hell?" Mm. Um, you know, and it was a crucial point in the game too. Like, what happens when you get to a crucial point in the game and these things go off? Yeah. So you got to make a replacement. Yeah. And it's and it has an impact on the result. Like wow, that is. You'll see players start taking a spare spare mouth guard out in the sock <laughs> and swapping it, swapping it out later, later yeah. in the game or something. But but no, I think it's got to be properly field tested at, at community grassroots level and get the right data before you start implementing higher up the chain. I'm all for player safety, but it's also it's not proven that mouth guards play a role in um, reducing concussion. Um, and CTE. So, you know, like, I'd love to know how it works. And because like I think, the, I think the, the reading they measure, they measure the force. Yeah, they yeah, measure the force, the acceleration, an and the deceleration. And then they correlate that to what your brain's doing inside yeah, your head. So well, yeah, I'd be interested to understand. Like, I'm no scientist, but I'd be interested to see mm. how the force through your jaw and through the mouth guard correlates with your brain being sloshed around inside your head. Yeah. Don't know, but, but. And, and I think I think that's what it is. Like we've just you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Mitchie. Like this, it's kind of like you know the tackle laws, everything. It needs to be brought in like this. Rugby's always had this whole top-down philosophy where you know if we started here at this highest level, then it'll filter back down through. When that's not always the way that it, it happens. Like I think they're much better working through it, trialing and then growing it up, so it comes up 
with the game while it has been tried and tested because like the, essentially all they're doing right now is just gathering data they don't they've they've picked a number arbitrarily yeah. to just say this is what this is what we think this kind of movement this kind of impact if we measure this this yep. is what's happening with the brain inside the skull so this is enough for it to um have a concussive effect on so that's when we need to just you know draw someone out when you know that that measurement isn't actually indicative of what's happening out on the field mm. and i think they're i think they i think they're a little bit aware of it now like there were you know some of the rugby australia medical staff were over in perth for the game on friday there are a few of the guys wearing the mouth guards there fortunately it didn't have an effect on the game that it did in some of the other games um but i think right now and I, I'm sure if, if you ask them, they'd be open and saying they are just trying to gather data now and figure out what that data means before they can start making some some bigger moves on it. Because yeah, I think you'd hate, like we said, you'd hate to see an effect like we're already hating to see what effect can happen with some of these high tackles and yellow cards and you know pretty minor offences. But if it's all of a sudden you know a mouth guard's going to be taking a guy out of a game for a critical yeah. moment, yeah. then. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's there's bigger things we need to be worried about with our sport. Yeah, well, yeah, Scott Barrett said, honestly, I think it's probably a step too far for a player when you're getting dragged and you're looking around saying what actually happened. So, yeah, a little bit more work to do. And then finally, the Wallabies doco and stand-up was released um, last week. Now, Mitch, you've seen episode one? I'm episode one and probably halfway through episode two, Mickey. I was just settling in this afternoon to watch episode two when the podcast came up. So, um, interesting it's an interesting documentary, nowhere near to the level of the Six Nations series it was on and other sport docuseries that have been out recently. I would put this at the bottom of the pile. And, and if you're completely bored on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, maybe give it a go. But um, I don't need to hear from Georgina Robinson every five minutes, Mick, for a rugby documentary. Like I've, It's just perplexing. It seems to be made by the media for the media this series so far it gives you very little insight into what's actually going on from a team preparation side of things mm. from what's happening behind the scenes with the coaching groups from a tactical game strategy side of things everything you think that a good sport docker series would give you it doesn't mm. that's what i thought it seemed to be, it seemed to be rehashing a lot of newspaper articles that we read during the world mm. cup mm. have you seen it tess uh no i have not but, but, but Georgina, if Georgina Robinson's test. on it, mate, you see the narrator. Mate, everyone no. needs a narrator. She's just oh, she's on not. every five minutes. Giving no, she's quick, just on a bit. Almost, it's smug. It's like she's taking pleasure out of the demise of the Wallabies. Because I'm with you, Mitch. I would have liked to have seen more of that behind-the-scenes stuff. Hear, hear what's she's said you know, today, during... I, <laughs> I want to hear what's being said, you know, during the game and during the trainings and in those, in those yeah. meetings. That's what, like, I really enjoyed seeing Eddie... In the coaches' yeah. box, you know, when where's yeah. the kicking tea? Where's the kicking tea? And you know, and attack on all that sort of stuff with a few expletives yeah. thrown in. I find that yeah. stuff that's yeah. really like it's that. the stuff we don't get to see, yeah. and, and that's what you know. I want to see more of that the uh, the huddles at training, and then the more of the huddles at yeah. um in, at half time. What's happening at half time? Who's saying what? And yeah. so, so that that for me is that's what I wanted to see for a behind the scenes, fly on the wall, look at the Wallabies. That's what I wanted to see, and, not, and I don't not opinions. You, see you don't see it enough. During that, yeah, thing. I don't think it's enough of it. Yeah, I'm with you, Mick. I'll, I'll still watch it all. Like, I, well, I'm yeah, fascinated. I finished it. I finished yeah. it yesterday. And mm. um, one thing which was the they had some of the coaches' meetings where they they showed them they showed a minute or so of these coaches' meetings. The number of players in those coaching meetings was ex the number of people, I should say, coaches Not in the coach. It was a it was a massive room with a massive table full of of coaches. And I kept trying to look for your mate who you saw up in Darwin, who was um Eddie's. Oh, little, I've seen him. I've seen him in the background. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't know what he looked hovering. like, so I'm he's trying hovering. to work out. He's the little bloke, the little bloke with silver hair. Yeah, okay, okay. The little bloke with silver hair. Just and it's interesting to the, see... Look, look for him in the background with a notebook. And interesting to see the um, the guy who used to coach the Adelaide Crows. Um, oh, I can't think of his name now. Yeah, who's yeah, who's yeah. basically Eddie's right-hand man. He's the one that sits with Eddie yeah. every morning and they, they discuss things and then... And, and then he's got the psychiatrist um, or the psychologist in one meeting. She says, look, we need to, this is about the Will Skelton incident. She says, we need to tell players what's happening, keep them up to date. And he says, no, no, we're not doing that. You think, well, why Why have got these spending, all the millions you spend on these people to then say, well, no, 
we're not going to do that. And as I said, <laughs> Stolze, Taniela Tupo just comes across, like, yes, he's a very strong, hard, aggressive fella, but just yeah. comes across as a really likeable, you really feel for him with the injuries that he had and, and how much it, yeah. it means to him. That was a that was a nice insight. But, um, but yeah, the, I mean, yeah, look, yeah. it's good. It's worth a look, but I would have liked to have seen more of that yeah. behind. The stuff that, like, you guys have seen it and because you've, you've been part of it. But for people like me that have never been part of that sort of setup, I want to know what goes on. And, that, and that's yeah. what I feel that it was that it was missing. Yeah, and Nick White's the same. Like, comes across as a really good yeah. bloke and passionate about Australian rugby and his game and all sort of stuff. But there's no insights other than sort of the off the field stuff for him. There's no, there's no some of the some of the the real tussle to you know win the halfback spot. Yeah, take yeah. Dermot and it's all that off field stuff, which is kind of a bit warm, fuzzy media yeah. type so, type stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah but, you know. And one thing, one thing um, that was was kind of interesting because you always see these the the runners or the trainers out on the field, and there's the guy I don't know what his name is, but he's Eddie's mate that's worked with Eddie for a long time. Who Eddie tells him what to go out and say. Yeah, the, to the players. Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as as players, is that annoying when you? It's not the coach telling you to do things. It's it's someone obviously he's part of the system, but he's not the coach. Is it annoying when you got someone? Telling you stuff like you think to yourself, who are you? What qualification have you got? You're just a you delivering me a message. Is that annoying, or do you or do you take that as I, though it is coming from the coach? Even though it yeah, is, yeah. I think from- I think in that I think in that environment, it's very clear where the message is coming from. So I don't think yeah. it matters. I don't think it matters who's who's saying it. They know where it is. I think <laughs> he's basically just a ventriloquist puppet. Yeah. Isn't he? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So look, it was it's it's, it's yeah worth a look, but would have liked to have seen a bit more. But anyway, mm. it's, it's there to be watched. All right. Well, that'll do us. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, um, any more Thanks, mud racing? Good to see. Was that it? Is that the last no, round? No, busy of that? week. Busy week. I'll be heading to Perth this week. I hope we catch up with you blokes at yes. some point. Yeah. Got some meetings over there, um, which align up nicely. So um, yeah, lots happening around the sporting universe at the moment. Excellent. And Tess, um, good to see you. How was how was the corporate gig on Friday night? It's a pleasure. Yeah, it was a. Good crowd before the game, tough crowd after. Yeah, always, <laughs> always is. Always is. You'll need to try as and get as me. As long as you've got a gig, Heath, that's the main thing, mate. As long exactly. as you've got a gig, try and, and get me there as your plus one. There's a buffet. There's a buffet and a gig. I'm getting hungry. Nothing to do with Yeah, the duck pancakes, Mick. You would have been happy with them. You like those. Yeah, excellent. All right, thanks, gents. Enjoy the week. Yes, hopefully, catch up with you on Friday night. To everyone, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Wrap.